So, um, I just realized something. I am kind of like Mozart with this podcast stuff. I know what you're saying. I'm not comparing myself to one of the greatest musicians that's ever lived, composers. I'm not. I'm not. I have one similar similarity to him with podcasting, which is probably why my podcast has only 18 followers versus Joe Rogan's 30 million a year. (laughs) Um, I never erase and I never edit. I always shoot from the hip. I don't plan my shit. Whenever I feel like talking about something, I talk about it and then boom, I, I listen to it a couple times. I've, I think I've erased like twice, but I didn't like redo it. I just, just deleted it because it just wasn't, didn't sound good. It was too much wind and then I just never fucking picked it up again. But yeah, I am the Mozart of podcasts in that one small, tiny little category. So yeah, what's up, Tchaikovsky? Anyway, <clears throat> I saw this fucking thing on Facebook and this guy said, I guess he's part of a restaurant that's already open and he's actually, I don't know, I've never met him and I don't even follow him on Instagram, but it's called Honest Restaurant Manager. I think that's his Instagram tag and he posts, he's fucking, he's, he's dead on with the memes and shit. So he says that, you know, he had a table sit down and the first thing was out of this lady's mouth was, I'll have a water with no ice because I don't think you guys are following the COVID regulations with your ice. And then he goes, at that moment, it was at that moment that I realized that Karens have came back reloaded with new ammunition so now lately there's there's been this i don't know how long for how long but i'm pretty sure it's lately it's pretty new that karen uh they gave the name karen to that um i'm allergic to green person uh we did a podcast that said you know allergic to what and it's basically a bunch of douchebags when you know they treat the server badly and then they whatever all this stuff so they, the name is Karen for the woman, and it's usually a short haircut, and it's kind of like blonde streaks. Like you, you know exactly who I'm talking about when you, when you, uh, when you picture Karen. And it's funny, because I do too. What I don't, I mean, I don't really care, but I could, uh, pretty sure that all Karens get a bad rap because of it. And I'm sure there's a couple of Karens out there that are pretty fucking cool, and they're probably really hot, and they're not douchebags. In fact, there's probably Karens that work in the restaurant industry. It's gotta be, you know? So that's cool. And then, um... Like, what would be the guy name version of it? And people say it's Chad. They say Chad is the guy version of Karen, which I can't see because I know a Chad that works in the restaurant industry. And he's one of the coolest fucking dudes that I've ever worked with. Like, completely straight up. Like, you know, like, no bullshit. Like, tells us how it is. When he feels like it, he runs into the kitchen and he yells, suck on my balls! You know, it's fucking awesome. Like, so, I can't see it. Maybe like a, maybe like a, I don't know. Not like, laid, blade, laser, blazer. I would say like Tyler. But not Tyler, like maybe like Xander. I don't know. I don't know. A guy, Karen. I don't know. I don't know. I can't think about it. I don't know anybody that douchebaggy. But yes, women Karens do exist. And they're basically the woman. If you've ever seen the movie Waiting, they're the woman that um, gets to all this shit put in her food. Which, by the way, as a chef, just for the record, I've never done. I've never fucked with anyone's food. If I've dropped anything on the floor, I've immediately thrown it out. I don't do that. I'm sorry. I mean, I'll do a lot of shit to people like pranks and stuff and put fish sauce in their soda and like, you know, all this stuff like wild, you know, co-workers. But I'm never going to fuck with a guest's food because, um, you know, don't break the cardinal rule. Don't fuck with the people that, you know, fuck with your food. Um, Maybe it's the server, like whatever they do outside of the kitchen. I don't know. But uh, personally, I take pride in at least two things in life. One is my child and the other one is my work. So, you know, if I like what I do, I happen to enjoy what I do. So I don't consider it that hard of a job. So if I have a chance to fuck with someone's food, I do not take it. Of course, I have the chance. Everyone has a chance. But if I have the chance and if I see someone fucking with someone's food, I tell them not to do it. 
and uh, I've never gotten into an argument over it, but a couple of things did happen. Like one time I was uh, working for a restaurant, and basically this guy called me up out of nowhere. My dad was actually working at the restaurant already as a sous chef. Um, my dad and I have a strange dynamic. Uh, it started to be a while ago before I went to culinary school. I was his sous chef at a small Hilton Garden Inn. It was like a tiny ass kitchen where we fucking microwaved, uh, you know, chicken wings and uh, David's cookies we baked in the oven and all that. And I was a sous chef there, and he basically taught me everything he was going through in school because he was going to school at the time, and he would make me like peel a case of potatoes and and then turn them. And when you turn a vegetable, it's an f- old French technique where you basically take all the vegetables and you cut them into small little footballs like american footballs and different sizes have different names but they're all in the shape of a football i don't know why i think it's something to do with i mean i do know why it's it's uh, to even the, to make everything evenly cooked and depending upon which vegetable it is and which dish you're serving it with for how long it's being cooked is the size that you cut it with long story short it's a pain in the ass to do it's supposed to have seven sides i don't fucking know like why but it is you know the french say to do it you do it you know that's it basically so you maybe will do maybe like um, also mushrooms, turning mushrooms. So it's like when you take a knife and you hold it like unorthodox in an unorthodox fashion in your hand, and then you kind of turn the knife against the mushroom, and you make the top of the mushroom like the spiral, really cool thing. And like of course the professional Frenchies, they're just like this is how you turn a mushroom, and then they take one, two, and they and they're like what well, the like, fuck, dude? You fucking just turn that mushroom in like a half a second. How am I supposed to learn how to do that? He's like do two cases, huh? So I was like shit. So my dad fucking made me turn two cases of mushrooms, and like by the obviously with everything you do, like by the end of the, like the second case, I was like nasty with it. Well, not nasty, but like better than I was when I started. I'm turning these mushrooms nice. So I'm like, I'm like, dad, these look really good. And he's like, yeah, I know. And he takes the mushrooms and he fucking throws them in a big pot with a stock in it and he makes a soup and he blends them. Fucking dickhead, right? I was like, dude, you just, I spent three hours turning mushrooms and he's like, yeah, well, now you know how to do it. I guess I should thank him for that. But then he didn't have to let me see, you know, he, my dad's a sadist like that. He, he's very Soviet Union. So anyway, so this guy calls me, my dad, and he was a sous chef at the restaurant. At the time, I was a chef de cuisine at a pretty prestigious, prestigious steakhouse in um, Manhattan. And during my tenure, I don't know if it was because of me or not, but during my tenure with two years, I made it to the Michelin recommended list. So I never got a star, but I was recommended. So it's like, it's like runner up to the star, which is, you know, the first three Michelin stars is the most prestigious, um, prestigious uh, thing you could accolade you can get in the culinary industry if you got it like, oh my God, oh my God. Although I don't think it's the same as it used to be because uh, like a food truck got a fucking star, like give me a break. And um, the way it started was with a, was a, actually a road traveler's guide. Michelin is the same people that do make the tires. And they branched off into being the most important and the most high-valued judges of the culinary industry. But they make tires. And the way that it started was it was a road guide. It was a road, road man's guide. So a person that, you know, back in the day when they would drive, and then they would recommend places. So like if a restaurant had one Michelin star, it means that if it's on your way to where you're going, you should stop in, you know. And then two stars meant if it's a little bit out of your way, you should take the detour and take the scenic route, uh, rather, and then go to this restaurant. If it had three stars, you'd fucking drop whatever you're doing, kill your wife, and go eat there because you'll never fucking, you know, have an orgasm three times. So long story short, uh, then, you know, it kind of like grew and grew, and then it became like one of the most prestigious, like I keep saying this word prestigious, but it's true. It's like, the, you know, chefs have killed themselves over like losing a star you know chefs would like sabotage other ones the movie burnt with uh what's his name with my boy uh fucking bradley cooper the movie burnt with bradley cooper was a pretty good movie i think about uh chefs 
it was pretty accurate for the most part about what um, high soigné fancy pants restaurants are like. Excuse me. Excuse me. Sneeze on the truth. And um, from what I understand is that it was based on the life of Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay is, of course, the guy with the pencil behind his ear that yells at everyone in British and he's a fucking dick and blah, 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 blah. What most people don't know is that Gordon Ramsay has the most Michelin stars accumulated, obviously, in the world. So he's got a bunch of different restaurants and all of his different restaurants have some, some have two stars, some have one star, some have three stars. He holds the most stars that anyone's ever held ever, which I didn't actually know at first. I thought it was just a, you know, like a, a good looking dude for an English guy and he just yells at everyone really well and he has a big giant pencil that I don't know how it balances itself behind his ear because it doesn't like defies the laws of physics. But that's neither here nor there. So I made Michelin recommended list. So I was pretty happy about that. So um, my dad calls me up and he goes like, uh, listen, uh, this guy really needs a chef. And I was like, dude, I'm in the fucking middle of the city, like chilling, bro. Like, what the fuck? I'm making like good money. Like, why the fuck would I go to... Um, Upstate New York, you know, in Westchester County. Work for a place called Blah 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 and Grill. So whenever it has Bar and Grill in the name, like already to me it was like, eh, Bar and Grill, me. I don't know. So he's like, just come in here and check it out. So I came in and I'm not fucking in. I didn't want, really, really didn't care. So I came in and like not shaven, didn't wear a suit, just came in on my jacket. And this guy was like a young, I'm gonna say he was like 39 at the time, 38, you know. Like a little bit older than me, but he was a young dude for an owner, and he's basically sitting down. And he goes, "Listen, I have this chef. Um, you know, I, you know, we open the restaurant with him, and you know, I, I need him out of here. Like, I can't, I can't do this. He just basically, first of all, he quit, and then I asked him to stay, but then he's like, no, I don't want to stay, and yada yada yada. So this was the month of uh, April, and there was a waterfront property. So May, June, July, August is where this place makes the most money. In fact, they make all the money for the year in those four months. So he's like, I need somebody to run this place, and this place is going to be a monster. And it's a big place. It was like uh, 200 seats or something, 270 seats. Well, actually, yeah, something like that. So I was like, uh, he's like, can you do it? And I was like, yeah, of course I can do it. Now, I, of course, I was kind of like a little bit facetious. I, I knew I could do it, but I've never done that exact thing before. Like I've done different aspects of the restaurant industry, but I've never done all of the things. Like I didn't completely revamp a restaurant that just opened and no one knew what the fuck they were doing. Like, and it was fucking tough, man. But the cool thing was, is he paid me more than I was getting paid in Manhattan with the Michelin bullshit. On top of that, he rented an apartment in a luxury building that was literally 60 feet away from the restaurant. So like for me to go from the kitchen, the expo line to my house, to my apartment and back took four minutes maximum that that depended on the elevators like if i catch the elevators in time it would take me less than four to four minutes all right so like just think about that and it was beautiful overlooking the hudson river it was fucking gorgeous so obviously i took the job and i uh, started working and it was tough man it was tough like like to because one the difference between working in the city and working anywhere else is to find help you know it's finding help is a lot, a lot difficult because in the city and there's so many people there's so many people constantly walking into your restaurant asking you if you need a job or if, if you have anything open dishwashers runners servers fucking cooks anywhere obviously the good good cooks are already taken but then again they, they get fired too and if you ever like for somebody doesn't show up in the city just go to the bar fucking hire 17 people they say a uh, drunk will never ever 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 not have a job because they could just get drunk and go to the bar and then somebody else will hire them, which is true. I've seen it happen. <laughs> I've hired them before, Christ's sakes. But in Manhattan, it was a little, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, in Westchester, it was a little bit more difficult because um, there wasn't uh, that much to pick from. So like it got to the point where I had like dishwashers working salads 
And then, like, they don't know what the fuck they were doing. And then all of a sudden, salads are coming back without walnuts on them. And then uh, they're like, what the hell's going on? Why do these salads have walnuts on them? So I'm like, I don't know. So I go over there, and I was like, flafla. I'm like, why the fuck do the salads don't have walnuts on them? Oh, chef, I ran out. So you ran out of walnuts in your station. You couldn't go six feet to get more walnuts from dry storage. You just decided not to put them on the salad. I know it seems trivial, but it's fucking important because Karen at table 30 really wants her fucking nuts. So, yeah. Um, (laughs) So I started working there and I realized that uh, living next to your place of work is good. But living too close to your place of work, especially when you're upper management, is no bueno. Because if they know you live there, they will use you. Uh, to uh, the fullest degree and this guy was paying my rent so i didn't i was rent free i was making more money and you know like i was i was doing well don't get me wrong but i fucking lived there i'm talking about like i'm still banging one of the bartenders you know at like seven o'clock in the morning after a really really long night and I get my phone rings and i was like ah fuck they found out and it's like can you let the beer guy in i was like oh man come on fuck dude come on dude like i have a headache i'm yeah of course i go let the beer guy in and then 9 o'clock, the produce guy's here. Like, All right, so fuck. So I have to figure that shit out. I learned a lot of stuff working for that restaurant. And it was mostly about managing people. Actually, I was always good at managing people because I would just kind of outsmart them and then make them do what I needed them to do. But in this case, there were so few of them that you had to play like had to almost like walk on eggshells with some and then you had to be stern with others and I learned a lot more Spanish I mean I've known Spanish for a while even before then but I learned a lot working there because there was different dynamics like for instance usually in restaurants there's a lot of Mexicans so everyone speaks Mexican Spanish the dialect and then there's um, there's probably French so people from like Haiti and then certain African countries they speak French and then there's Dominicans and then there's Colombians and stuff like that but for the most part they're Mexican in this place there was like one guy that was Mexican Everyone else was Dominican, and then a couple. There was like a white kid working there. Like he didn't even speak Spanish, and I was like, "What are you doing here?" Like, really? Okay, cool, whatever. So like, I learned Dominicans, and that's where I learned that Dominicans talk like a fucking machine gun that was uh, that's on steroids. So, yes, see sí or no? And I was like, I don't know what you said, bro. I'm sorry, lo siento. So anyway, I learned how to manage people, and I learned how to gain respect from the people with whom I worked, and that is probably the most important thing to have as any leader is respect and like a lot of people will get respect out of fear so like they will uh they will fear of their jobs they will fear getting yelled at they will fear something you know that that the chef is going to make them cry and that's how they give you respect but that's not really respect that's just fear you know respect is like where you can when you can go down to their level and not down to the level but meet them at their level Show them that you can and will do whatever you need to do to get the job done. You know, like if I needed to do the dishes, I would do the dishes. I really would. I would start doing the dishes until somebody came and said, hey, hey, I got it. And then they would do it, you know. And then I would look at everyone else and I would look at him and I would say, thank you, man. I would look at everyone else and I was like, what the fuck took the rest of you so long? You think I like doing the dishes, you know? I kind of like joke around with him. So I did joke around a lot. I am kind of goofy, I guess, as, as a leader. But at the same time, when I was stern and when I needed something, they all showed up. And when I needed them to work late, they were there. And when I needed them to work on their days off, they were there. And they would always say, yes, chef, of course. You know, and a couple of douchebags that wouldn't after a while, you know, we got rid of them. Like there was this one guy that was a terror. His name was Fatty Fat Fat Piggy Pig. 
All right. So fatty, fatty, fat, fat, piggy pig was a terror. He terrorized everyone. He would like grope the girls behind my back. He would talk shit about all the line cooks. He actually was talking shit about me a lot, saying that I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I didn't know how to run a restaurant and all this stuff, all this stuff. But to my face, he was like really nice. I tell you, chef, these guys don't know what they're doing. What the fuck? Was he a good cook? He was a good saute cook. Yes. Um, was he seasoned? Yes. Was he creative? And would he ever be a leader? Absolutely not, because he would try to get the people to work for him out of fear, and what would happen to him is eventually everyone would just fucking quit on him, and then he would blame them, but then uh, if you're a leader, you can't blame anybody but yourself. That's the other thing that they don't tell you when you're a leader. When you're a leader, you can't blame your line cooks, because if you blame your line cooks, the owner's still going to be like, well, they're your line cooks, so you dick. So what happened was everyone was begging me to fire him. They were like, get rid of him. We can't do this anymore. Some people threatened to quit because I wouldn't fire him. And I didn't know. I was like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Like, he's fine. He's like, chef, I'm telling you, he talks shit about you. He talks shit about everyone. All this and all this. And so finally, finally, I heard from a reliable source that he was indeed saying stuff about me and about everyone else and like, you know, all these things. So what happened was we started letting people go because it started getting slower. And of course, he thought he was untouchable and he thought I would never fire him. And what happened was uh, I fired him the same way I fired everybody else. I would just tell them that they didn't have to come in. And then I would tell them that I would call them when they needed to come in. And then I would just obviously never call them because I'm not the kind of guy that will just fire you to your face. But uh, he was so surprised, man. I'm sure it hit him like a ton of bricks. And I remember the day after it happened, I walked into the kitchen and everyone like applauded. Like I never ever felt so like, oh my God, I was so wrong about this. You know, at the same time, I was happy that I did do that. And I was happy that I listened to my crew. But I was, I was embarrassed that I didn't know like that, that this was going on. But I think like one of those, that, that was the moment where a lot of them did gain respect for me finally, because they're like, you know what, like, like no matter what he is, like he listens to what we say and he follow, you know, he takes advice because a good skeptic, when given a proper um, retaliation to his argument, will accept that retaliation and will, if it's true, like if I'm arguing against something and somebody gives me a good reason for why my argument is not, you know, doesn't hold water, as a good skeptic, as a real skeptic, I would be, have to agree. You know, you're, not, you're absolutely right. And then I would have to reevaluate and then maybe make a different argument or just agree with him. And I do that a lot. I mean, I do that less than I am right, but when I am wrong and somebody proves me wrong, I'm like, you know what, I'm sorry, I apologize, and, you know, thank you very much. What are you going to do? you got to admit defeat sometimes. It is what it is. You know what I mean? Not everyone's perfect. And most chefs do think they're perfect. Even when they're wrong, they're right. And that's what a lot of people, well, me, first of all, but I know also a lot of people don't like that. They're like, you're not always right. You know what I mean? And then the more you do that, the more they try to make you wrong. And then the more they try to make you wrong, the more they're going to find them where you're wrong. And they're going to find your little insecurities and your little flaws and your little tidbits. And they're going to exploit them. Meanwhile, if you just support them, listen to them, and like, you know, try to help them out as much as you can, they will not only not look for your flaws, but when flaws come up, they will defend your flaws. The, like, if, if, you, if, I, if I'm a chef that always leaves shit everywhere, and you know, instead of like being like, oh my God, he leaves shit everywhere, they'll fucking go and clean it up after me. They'll be like, they'll clean up the shit because they know like, listen, you know what, chef would fight for me if I had something to do, so I'm gonna fucking fight for him. And that's probably the best relationship you can have in the work in the, in the restaurant industry is between a chef and his cooks. When his team fucking likes him, respects him, and wants to work for him, they can rock out a 700 fucking cover night with one person on each station, and it is what it is. 
And you know what I mean? And if, like, you know, sometimes, like, I've had a guy, I've had people in bad moods, I've had people that were hungover, I've had people that were rock stars and they would, like, not be rock stars one day. So I would look at them and I'd be like, yo, what the fuck is going on with you? Can you please talk to me? Can you please tell me what's going on? He's like, everything is fine. Why? What the hell? And, like, you know, you have this, you know, the macho, the little pride, like, everything was fine. So now I was like, like, bro. Big, big man, come on, just, just talk to me. Like, you know, it's me, dude. I'm not for fucking, I'm just, I just want to know what's going on so I can help you. And he wouldn't tell me, he wouldn't tell me. He just kept like, kind of like, like pushing back. And finally, later on, like we, we, had, a, we had a chat, like, you know, I pulled him out, pulled him off to the side. And he told me that he was afraid that he was going to be diagnosed with cancer. That he had, you know, some sort of, some sort of complication. And he went to the doctor and the doctor chest him out. And, you know, the doctor pretty much told him like, you know, brace yourself because I, I don't know what the results are going to be. So he was like this, this giant 300-pound Dominican man who could probably squash my head with his left hand, and he was a righty, was crying in front of me because he was afraid he was going to have cancer. So I told him this. I was like, first of all, the type of cancer you're going to have is not like the end-all, be-all of it. God forbid. And I hope it doesn't happen. Obviously, it doesn't happen. But if it does, I'll tell you what. I'll shave my head with you. I will shave my head because I know you're going to go through chemo, and you know you're going to do like, are you kidding me? And, he's, and he started crying again. And I was like, all right, stop fucking crying. Like, relax. It's not the end of the world. So then what happened was, um, like, two days later, he was getting his test back. And I knew, I knew that. And um, I was like, you're going to come into work? He's like, no matter what, I'll, I'll come into work. You know, like, whatever. Like, if you want. I'm like, if you want, we could open it together. Or I could read it for you. And she's like, no, 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 no. So to get ahead of all that, I just went ahead and shaved my head that night. I fucking shaved my head because I said, fuck it. You know, worst case scenario. He comes in, he opens it, he's got cancer. I'd be like, look, man, I told you I would shave my head if, you know, if something happened and, and you did. Sure enough, he came in, he didn't have cancer. There was nothing wrong with him. <laughs> Fucking some sort of like an infection somewhere. I don't, know if, I don't even remember, honestly, what it was. But the fact that I shaved my head, like everyone was like, Chef, why'd you shave your head? And then I was like, tell him, Jeff. Tell him. Oh, shit, I actually dropped his name. Nah, anyway, whatever. He's like, tell him. And um, I don't remember if it was him that told everyone or if I told everyone, but like I remember the way people looked at me after and like some people be like, oh my God, you're so baldy. But then like, like line cooks would like correct them like, hey, hey, don't talk, don't say that because like, you know, he did this for, for a reason and stuff like that. And then they would look at me like, fuck man, this guy's a the goofy son of a bitch, you know, cocky motherfucker. But when it comes down to it, he fucking stands behind this crew. And it's just like anything else. I'm not comparing the restaurant industry to the military. We don't fight and kill people. And we don't, you know, save lives. We feed people. We make people happy. But at the same time, there's a lot of intensity, right? And there's a lot of, like, chaos that goes on. And if you don't have your line behind you, it could fall apart really fucking quickly. And it could be really, really bad news bears for you. But if you do have your line behind you, not only will you succeed pretty much every time, the owner and whoever else is on top will be like, yo... That motherfucker, when he was here during his tenure, everything, for some reason, came, like the owners, like I said, they don't really know that much about the restaurant industry. They just know how to, like, fix light bulbs and figure out when, when for the most part, they, you know, which ones are out. <laughs> but, like, they could, even them, they could tell, like, when he was here, shit came out on time, it was quicker, and, you know, this, this, and this, people were giving good reviews. They don't know where that comes from. They just see the good reviews and the good results, but they don't understand that it comes from the fact that everyone that's working is working to the best of their ability because they want to do well for you as a chef. And the owner doesn't have to see that. All the owner does have to see is good results. But the whole point is that you know why the good results are coming. That's what makes you a good chef. And that's what makes, you don't have to even know how to cook. I mean, you should, but you don't have to. I mean, obviously it's, I'm, no, never mind. You have to know how to fucking cook. You have to know how to cook and you have to be fucking nasty at it. You have to be good. 
you have to have an answer in terms of culinary world forever. Like, like people would ask me, like we would play a game, like every day we would ask questions. And they would ask me questions about food, and I would give them answers, and they would be amazed about how much I knew. But it's just because like I fucked up before. That's how much I know. Like, how oh, Dimitri, how do you know all these tricks? And I was like, because I fucked it up before. And then like this, uh, the, the pig that we fired, the fatty, fat, fat, fat. Every time he would call someone's name, he would yell out a bad word. Like, for instance, I'd be like, hey, Chris. And he'd be like, pajaro, like, like faggot. Or he would say something bad. So after we fired him, and then, because other, other cooks started, like, catching on, kind of, and they started doing it to each other. So the day after I fired him, so I said someone's name, and someone said, pajaro, and I stopped the whole fucking kitchen. I said, everyone shut the fuck up and listen to me. From now on, from this day on, whenever someone he says somebody else's name, you're going to give him a fucking compliment. For instance, if you're going to say, hey, Jeff, you're going to call him muy guapo, very handsome. Or if you're going to say, you know, Robin, hey, Robin, you say, buena gente, like good people. And at first they laughed, and they weren't doing it, but I started doing it. So anyone, somebody said somebody's name, buena gente, muy guapo, muy inteligente. And guess what happened? They all started fucking giving each other compliments on a daily basis, and everyone laughed, and everyone had a great fucking time. And we sweated our balls off because it was fucking hot as shit. And it was the summertime and on the Hudson River. And we did 700 covers on Saturdays. But everybody left and they had a great time. And I would do that any other day. And that was one of the best crews that I've ever worked with. One, because I got to pick them. And two, because they didn't leave. Because I worked with them and I was real with them. And to this day, I still talk to most of them. And they're doing really well. So, yeah, stay positive. Because if you're not, the restaurant industry will eat you alive.